think it's interesting how that even connects with the verse that the Lord led me to for our offertory devotion in that in John chapter 6, Jesus takes that little boy's lunch. You can turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 9, by the way. And he uses that as an illustration because the next day, the 5,000 plus that he fed until they were filled came seeking him again. And Jesus said to them later on in that passage, I am the bread of life. And so that spiritual longing, that hunger, that search for truth, for peace, for reconciliation with God comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And just as your body cannot be sustained without food, your soul cannot be sustained without a trust relationship in Jesus Christ. Thank you, ladies. What a wonderful song. And thank you for that ministry. In Acts chapter 9, uh, we have seen in the first six verses that Jesus intercepted Saul. And that Saul conversed with Jesus. He heard Jesus. He saw Jesus literally and had this interaction with him. And now pick it up in verse 7 with me of our passage where the Bible says, And the men which journeyed with him, with Saul, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So they heard the noise, they heard a voice, but they did not distinguish the words. They saw the light, they were surrounded by the light, but they did not see Jesus, the one whose glory was shining around them in this brilliant light that shone like lightning brighter than the day. And this happened at midday. So when the sun was at its zenith and its most powerful and its brightest, the glory of Christ far outshone that sun in even a very physical presence. Linsky observes his men, Saul's men, had to lead him by the hand. And it was thus that the great persecutor and destroyer of the Christian church entered into the city that he had selected for his new triumphs. Look with me in verse 8. And Saul arose from the earth, and when he opened his eyes, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Like a child, Saul is led by the hand into the city of Damascus. And like a child, he responds to the Lord Jesus Christ in humility. Only when we humble ourselves as a child and with childlike faith believe on Jesus can we have our sins forgiven and receive the gift of everlasting life. Like Saul, we should humble ourselves and submit to God's will. I want you to notice a verse over in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, in verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, But Jesus called them unto him and said suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not now look at this for of such is the kingdom of god for verily i say unto you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of god as a little child shall in no wise enter therein i emphasize that the kingdom of heaven is is made up of people who are like little children who come with simple trust and faith. 
That's who makes up the kingdom. So you don't come in your pride and your arrogance. You don't have to have every question answered before you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a PhD in theology in order to be saved. But like a child, you have to understand that you have broken God's law. You've sinned. You've violated your conscience. You've done things you know are wrong. And you know that there's a consequence for that. God's word tells us that the final and ultimate consequence for our sin is eternal death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. Paul's not comparing apples and oranges there. He's not comparing physical death with eternal life. He's saying the wages of sin is eternal death. The gift of God is eternal life. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Our sin has earned us. We have earned through sinning and the condemnation of eternal death. But Jesus, God the Son, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect and sinless life, went to the cross willingly as the once-for-all final full-payment sacrifice for our sin, shed his blood and died, was buried and conquered death and rose again. And you must believe that in your soul with childlike faith and in humility. Turn from trusting in yourself in your religious good works, in your own moral character, in your own philosophy of life, and turn and recognize there's nothing that you can do outside of putting your faith only in Jesus Christ and calling on him in childlike faith to receive that forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. We who have done that, we have submitted to him as the Lord of salvation and we should submit to his will in everything. Look back with me in verses 6 to 8. We'll read them very quickly. And he saw trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see how he humbles himself before God. He submits himself to the will of God. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So Saul humbled himself and submitted himself to the will of God. And like Saul, we should humble ourselves and submit ourselves to Christ's will. As disciples of Christ, we are not the sovereign ruler of our own life, but we follow the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Get this. And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Hey, we who are saved submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of salvation. But we should also surrender to him in every aspect of our life as king of kings and Lord of lords. If we've trusted him with our eternal soul, cannot we trust him with every aspect of our life? And should we not submit ourselves to his will? Say, but Pastor Todd, I don't understand why God is allowing fill in the blank. Even when you don't understand, you can still trust God. He has never failed. He will never fail. He's always true to his word. He's always true to his promise. He always accomplishes his purpose. And the same Lord who promised you that if you would call upon him, that he would give you everlasting life is the one who's conforming you into the image of Christ and who's going to use your life to count for eternity. Therefore, you and I should humble ourselves and submit to God's will just as Saul did here in this passage of Scripture. Second of all, like Saul, we should humbly call upon Christ in prayer. Look with me in verses 9 to 11. He was three days without sight and did neither eat nor drink. 
And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Don't overlook that little phrase, he prayeth. You see, Saul is not just saying his prayers. Do you remember in Luke chapter 18, there are two men who come to the temple to pray. Jesus tells the story. The one was a Pharisee. The other was a publican. The Pharisee. I think it's interesting because Jesus' own words in commenting on the Pharisee's prayer is the Bible says he stood and prayed thus with himself. You know what I take from that? He wasn't praying to God. He was praying to himself. Because there is no reliance upon God for anything. All he is doing is trying to show God how good he was. Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other men. I fast twice in the, in the week. You know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm not even like this publican over here. He stood and prayed thus with himself. Oh, the Pharisees were good at, at saying prayers. As a matter of fact, Jesus condemned them in the sense that they had loved to stand on the street corners to be seen of men. And they loved to stand in the synagogues praying. Why? Because they loved praying to God and communing with Him? No, because they loved to impress with other people with how flowery and how fluent and how expressive their prayers could be, how deep their theological knowledge was of the Old Testament Scriptures as they would pray it out in a soliloquy because it really wasn't prayer. And now, Saul, who was well-skilled at saying prayers, is actually praying. One writer said, regenerating grace sets people on praying. You might as well find a living man without breath as a living Christian without prayer. And now Saul, who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, Saul, who submitted his will to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself, is praying. And we, like Saul, should humbly call upon Christ in prayer. One writer said this. I love this word picture. Because Saul, what does the Bible say at the beginning of verse nine, uh, chapter 9? Man, he was headed towards Damascus, 130 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. He was on a search and destroy mission. It wasn't enough just to chase some people off of his doorstep that came with a gospel tract and a word of witness. No, not only did he want them arrested and put in jail, they didn't want that in their neighborhood. No, he went, he was going on a six-day, 130-mile trip purposely to Damascus on a search-and-destroy mission to bring back to Jerusalem to arrest Christians and to put them on trial and then to turn them over to the royal, Roman authorities and to use his Roman citizenship and influence even to try to get many of these Christians executed. And he is breathing out ragings and murders against Christianity, against these or of the way. And this writer says, the once raging lion is turned into a bleeding lamb. See, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. And here is Saul, who at the beginning of this, before he comes to Christ, is breathing out threatenings and murders. 
He is angry against what he believes to be a heretical doctrine. But when he meets Christ and realizes his mistake, he has turned into one who is praying. You know, theologians and commentaries are, are filled with different speculations on why Saul did not eat or drink for three days and three nights. But I believe the context provides the answer. I believe it because he was praying. He was communing with God. He was seeking God's face. Then I want you to also see this though. Ananias had to submit to the will of Christ and trust his word as well. Look at verses 10 to 17. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight. Inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Oh, man, why me, Lord? Why didn't you send Peter or James, somebody with some authority? Because God uses his followers, and you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have gone to a Christian college in order to be used of the Lord. You don't even have to have a high school degree to be used of the Lord. Now, I am not downplaying education. Please don't misunderstand. But, you know, here's Ananias. And it doesn't say that he was an apostle. It didn't say that he was a prophet. It didn't say that he was an evangelist or a pastor or an elder or a deacon. It doesn't give him any other title or moniker other than he was a disciple. Aren't you glad that God can use you and me, any one of us? And, and God seeks out Ananias. God chose him and he says, hey, Ananias, by the way, I, I, have, I have said in a vision to Saul of Tarsus that you're going to come. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Look at this. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way. God said, Go your way, Ananias. Ananias went his way. He said, Go to the house at the, on the street called Straight to Judah's house. He went to the house. He said, Lay your hands on him. I've told you... I have told him in a vision that Ananias, you would come and you'd lay hands on him and he'd receive his, height, his sight. Look at this. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And look at this in verse 18. And immediately there fell from his, from Saul's eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith immediately and arose and was baptized Ananias also had to submit to the Lord's will in this. So there's some things I want you to notice about Ananias' exchange with the Lord that I trust will be a challenge because we, like, like Saul, we need to submit to the word of God and the will of God. And like Ananias, we need to submit to the will of Christ and to his word. Notice that it was the Lord who initiated the conversation with a command. God just chose this ordinary disciple to carry out his mission. But notice this, the Lord does not rebuke Ananias for his prayerful response as he seeks confirmation. Lord, I'm just making sure that this is, this is the mission that you want me to go on because, Lord, I have heard how, how this man has, uh, what he's done in Jerusalem. We've heard he was on his way. Uh, Lord, we don't, 
Lord, it's going to be on me if this guy is some sort of an imposter. But isn't it interesting that the Lord does not rebuke him for his prayerful response as he seeks confirmation? As a matter of fact, notice that the Lord patiently confirms his command and explains his plans to Ananias. Did God owe Ananias an explanation? No. But wasn't God gracious and kind to do so? Because he knew that Ananias had a real concern, not for himself so much as for his brethren and for the the kingdom of God, his brothers and sisters in Christ, that church that was there at Damascus. And how gracious Christ was to affirm, to, to repeat the command to him, and then to give him some specific details on, to, on his plans, on God's plans for Saul's life. And God says, Ananias, I have chosen him to be a vessel, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the children of Israel. He's going to suffer much for my name's sake. He's even going to stand before kings and proclaim the gospel, and they will listen. He's a chosen vessel unto me. And Ananias' obedience. Look at this. This is interesting. When Ananias comes in, look what he says. He laid hands on him and said, what? What's the next word? Brother Saul. He doesn't just say, uh, Saul. (laughs) He says, he lays hands on him. Here's Saul, he's been blind for three days. And Nice comes in and lays hands on him because God told him to. But think of the fellowship and think of the encouragement it must have been for Saul who's been sitting there for three days and nights praying, fasting. This incredible confrontation, this total transformation is taking place in this life and, and Ananias comes with a, with a greeting, a friendship, of compassion, of acknowledging that Saul was already a believer. Brother Saul. You know, one of the things I've loved about Berean Baptist Church and it's something that we need to pay attention to and keep pursuing is that same kind of loving, accepting, graceful, welcoming spirit here when folks come to Berean Baptist Church. It could be they're unbelievers. Where else are they going to experience the love of Christ and hear the message if they can't hear it here? This should be a place where they feel safe and loved and welcomed. Can we condone their sin? Absolutely not. Can we love them? Absolutely. And they should know that we love them. But when brothers and sisters in Christ come, whether it, whether it was some of the families that are believers that go to other churches that had, had their kids in our VBS this week, or whether somebody like the House family that's here this morning will be here tonight presenting their ministry to Alaska, there ought to be just a, a surrounding, a, 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 a family love that you're included in. I was very blessed to grow up in a family that was very loving and they loved each other, appreciated each other. And you know, there were some other families that I had the privilege of knowing. One of them was the DeVries family. There was a guy, Mike DeVries, he's a pastor. And when, when we were in high school, Mike was, in, was, was like a senior in high school and I was in junior high. And Mike took me under his wing, so to speak. He invited me to come. He asked if I could play practice with the football team. He, he asked if I could do different things. He invited me to do stuff. 
Um, we played basketball together. He invited me to spend the night at his house. Uh, and, and Mike had a nickname for me. And, and, uh, and, and you know what? He just really had a purposeful impact in my life. But you know what? Uh, the other DeVries, Matt and Stephanie and Jennifer, we all became really good friends. Mr. DeVries, Denny DeVries and I, when I was a youth pastor there, he and I were up in the, in the booth calling a football game and all that together. And you know what? That was another family. And, I, and you know what? I had the same sense when I went over to the DeVries house that I had the same sense of family with them as I did when I was with my family. And you know, at Marine Baptist Church, when there are brothers and sisters in Christ and they come here, they ought to sense that they're with family. And you know, I am so thankful. And if I could, in a humble way, because this message is about humility, brag on y'all, um, I would do so. And I do that. Thank you for being such a loving, warm, friendly, outgoing church. Please keep that up. For it truly expresses the love of Christ and opens hearts to receive truth and for people to be willing to receive ministry because they know we truly care for them. Ananias acknowledges Saul's conversion, and that's an evidence of Ananias' humble submission to the will of God as well as Saul's, and, and, and Ananias is recognizing God's work in Saul's life. And look at this, don't miss this. The Bible says, and there was something like scales, verse 18, immediately fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he saw received sight forthwith. Man, when I saw this, I was like, man, that's exciting. Remember the song, once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. Remember the man who was born blind and the disciples in their self-righteousness asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. But that God might, and the Son of God might be glorified. And then later on, here is this man who was born blind, and some other people drag him before the Pharisees. And they say, are you the man that was born blind? He says, yep. They didn't believe him. <laughs> he says, and even though they asked him, how did you get to see? He said, well, this man named Jesus came, and he put mud on my eyes, and he told me to go wash, and I came away seeing, you know? And that's all I know. And they bring his parents in. Is this your son that was born blind? How is it that he sees? They're scared to death because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. So they said, well, he's of age. Ask him. He tells him again. Once I was blind, but now I see. And this, where the scales fall off of Saul's eyes, is a physical manifestation of the spiritual work that God did. Saul was blinded by pride. He was an arrogant Pharisee. He kept the law. Even later on, when he was a humble believer and an apostle, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, you know what, touching, you know, I was beyond my peers. And we'll look at the passage towards the, towards the end of the message. He said, but you know what, I was, as a Pharisee, man, I had zeal beyond my peers. I was, I was excelling in Phariseeism. Saul was a very proud man. He was blinded by pride. He was blinded by religion. He had fallen into a system where he thought that through keeping the law and by keeping the tradition of the elders and by doing all these technical things, he could somehow impress God that he was righteous. And he was blinded by rage and hatred. And the scales fell off after he came to Christ and he submitted to Christ as his Savior. Then he submits to Christ as his Lord. 
And he believed and trusted Christ and his word. Ananias also bearing witness to that. What a testimony. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Who had blinded Saul's eyes? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the gospel, which is the glorious image of Christ, should shine unto them. And again, I reiterate a point from last week, that when there are those who are the violent, vitriolic, aggressive enemies of the gospel and persecutor of believers, remember, remember, remember that they are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. They have been blinded by pride, by religion. And it might not be organized religion, but they've been blinded by a false system of belief. And many blinded by rage against the love of God. And yet if God can save Saul and transform his life and use him so greatly, should we not, as Christ said in Matthew 5:44, love our enemies, do good to those who persecute us, pray for them which despitefully use us and abuse us? Yes. Why? So that the message and the authenticity of the gospel through the way that we respond to them and the witness that as we share as God would give us opportunity to them may bear fruit in their life that they would come to repentance and faith, even as Saul, confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, came to Christ. And by the way, they don't need a confrontation with us. They need a confrontation with Christ. But we are his ambassadors. But then I want you to see another thing. Like Saul, we should humbly identify with Christ and his church. The Bible says that he arose and was baptized. Saul was excelling in Judaism. Yeah, he started over, quote unquote, when it came to faith in Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul's testimony is this. For ye have heard, and they had. It was known throughout a lot of the, the Jews throughout the known world, scattered where they were. Ye have heard of my conversation or lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But then added to that in Philippians chapter 3, where he writes in verses 4 to 6, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If anybody could have been saved by good works, if anybody could have been saved through being the epitome of a Pharisee, it would have been Saul. But listen to this last phrase. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And so one of the evidences of that, of Paul's humility, is that he humbly identified with Christ and with Christ's church by following in believer's baptism. Baptism is not a part of salvation. It does not seal your salvation. It is an evidence or a testimony of salvation. And it is the first step of obedience down the path of following Jesus Christ as his disciple. 
So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, trust Him today. Like Saul, humble yourself before Him. If you're a born-again believer, like Saul, like Ananias, humble yourself, believe the Word of God, submit yourself to Christ in every facet, be obedient, even when it seems you might be taking a risk. And if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you've not yet been biblically baptized, let me encourage you to make that choice. And then come and see me and say, Pastor Todd, I would like to be biblically baptized. We'll ask you to write out your testimonies. We want to see your salvation testimony. We'll have you meet um, together, and I want to hear your salvation testimony. Make sure that you know exactly what you are doing. And then we will set up a baptismal service and I would be privileged to baptize you as a testimony, a public testimony of what Christ has already done in saving you. And as that step of obedience for you that will hopefully set you on that path of a lifetime of obedience, discipleship submitted to the will and word of God. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Oh Lord, may we humbly submit ourselves to your will. May we believe your word. May we trust you. Oh Lord, may we be willing to humbly, but without apology, identify with you and with your church, even if it should bring upon us great persecution. We understand from the record of the scripture how Saul who was transformed into the Apostle Paul, greatly suffered as a proclaimer of the gospel and as a Christian. And yet, Lord, how greatly you used him and the amazing uh, grace that you gave to him to walk faithfully and minister faithfully. And Lord, you are no respecter of persons. What you did for Saul, you can do for those who've not yet trusted you as Savior. If they would just come, humbly come with the faith of a little child and reach out to you, Lord Jesus, the living Son of God, by faith and put their trust in you and accept what the gift of eternal life and that you, that you paid for in your suffering and death on the cross. And believe and rely on you and you alone for eternal life as the risen Savior. They can have that salvation. Lord, today there may be some believers that they are, they've been prayerless and you are allowing them to go through a very difficult time Maybe a time where they lack direction. Maybe circumstances don't make sense. And maybe, Lord, part of that design is so that they would turn to you in prayer and truly seek your face in prayer. And as they would seek your face in prayer, they would seek your word and listen to your word and submit to your word and then obey you and identify with you as a loyal follower. Lord, we have rejoiced this week in those who've already trusted you as Savior. But we would rejoice this morning if some would come and put their faith in the Lord Jesus as well. We rejoice in the work of transformation that you've been doing in our hearts. And Lord, even the testimonies that I heard this morning in our college and career Sunday school class, rejoice my heart at the work you're doing in the lives of your children. Lord, would you continue that work? And may we respond in humble obedience in this invitation time in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. We are going to have a come forward invitation this morning. I'll be in the front. If you would like someone to pray with you, if you have a question, please come and see one of us. 
If you need to receive the gift of eternal life and you want to find out how can I be saved from my sin and have eternal life, come and let one of us know. We'll pair you up with a trained counselor who will take you to a quiet, private place, sit down with you in just a few minutes, can show you the way of salvation from God's word, and you can make that decision and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some of you need to come and initiate a season of prayer with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've grown more self-reliant and less Christ-reliant. And you need to come this morning and acknowledge that and pour out your heart in prayer. Maybe some of you as believers are not submitting to the will of God in your life. You're not willing, not knowing what God's doing. You're not really willing to submit to what it is he's working in your life right now. And you need to come this morning and say, Lord, whatever it is, I'm willing to go through it by your grace. Change me and use me. I submit to your will and to your word today. Whatever your need is, please come this morning. Turn these steps into an altar, kneel and pray, or you can sit at the front pew if you can't get down to kneel. If you as a believer would like counseling from the Word of God or just a prayer partner, please let one of us pastors know that. Let's stand right now as our pianist begins to play our hymn of invitation. Would you come?